Welcome back, Inebriates. This is Andy, as always, on the Inebriate Podcast. Um, today, we're joined by uh, Ben Giroux. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And normally, I do some preamble or, or like try to make some sort of snappy segue and go into a question about how you got into your business. But like, I was kind of reviewing it. You do everything. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> you write, you direct, you produce, your voice actor, your. Uh, you're just an actor in general. Like I don't, that voice actor actor thing is kind of a little blurry nowadays, but um, what came first? Well, that's a great question. And, and, uh, and I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, I think 15 years ago when I, you know, had just gotten out of college and I thought, Oh God, I can't, I can't do anything outside of television acting or my pursuit of television acting because people will think that it's, uh, you know, but it will cloud my brand or in any way sort of denigrate my acting career. Now it's the complete opposite. Now it's just, hey, I think the more slashes you can add to your business card, the better when you are, especially in entertainment. Um, so what came first? You know, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona doing theater. I was mm -hmm. a theater kid, theater nerd, grew up on the stage. Um, went to film school uh, at Chapman University for a year uh, right after high school. And it was my only year away from acting. And I feel like you sort of have to go away from what you want to do to know that, oh, well, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with my life. So I transferred to USC, uh, pursued theater then, stayed in touch with all my film nerds that I met at Chapman and wound up after I finished acting school, uh, really collaborating with a lot of them behind the camera as well. And so sort of in tandem in the early days of YouTube, I was kind of, you know, cutting my teeth as a filmmaker of sorts uh, with sketch comedy mm -hmm. while I was pursuing a more traditional television acting career. All along the way, I was doing voiceover, uh, and that has certainly taken off, you know, in the last six, seven years, and certainly during the pandemic, which I've been very grateful for, um, in, in as much as my, my directing career as well. So I would say... I guess a more traditional television acting career came first, yeah. but it's all, it all sort of complements one another. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's kind of what I loved how you said, you have to kind of step away from what you want to do before you kind of like really figure it out. Um, because I mean, what I do didn't exist, like podcasting didn't exist and kind of the event promotions that I run didn't exist when I was a kid. It didn't, I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist and I don't. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it's really interesting. Uh, but uh, it, it's so interesting now where like, it's, I almost feel like you can't be one thing, especially like on the, I don't want to say the lower levels, but like, you know, Will Smith is an actor, but like, you know, the, the meat and potato people are, you know, I'm an actor. I produce, I write, like, I feel like it just makes you more versatile, more hireable. Yeah. Well, and I'll use, I'll use a, a chocolate cake analogy. I used to look at my career as a chocolate cake where that big, thick, chocolatey part was the like opportunities my agent would send me and the auditions I would get as an actor. And mm -hmm. then that thin layer of icing on top was the stuff that I felt like I could be proactive and make and me running around making early YouTube videos with my buddies. But it always felt like not the quote-unquote professional or real stuff. The real yeah. stuff was like waiting for your agent to call, right? Now that analogy has completely flipped. So the meat of my career, that big, thick, chocolatey part of that cake is the stuff that I am proactively making and developing with my writing partner, the things that I am filming and the audience I'm building on TikTok. Uh, and then that thin layer of icing 
are when you get a show or a TV series or a job, a more traditional job. Uh, but the thing that I always say is you could take away that thin layer of icing and you yeah. still have a pretty awesome career. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good analogy. I like that. Um, you mentioned TikTok and, and you have a boatload of followers on TikTok. Um, I don't get it. <laughs> well, I'm, like I'm still trying to figure it out and people are like, oh, you need to promote the podcast on TikTok. And I'm like, I just I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. It, you know what? And admittedly, and I look, I get it right. Like it, we are not the immediate age bracket that you think of when it comes to TikTok. And I didn't understand it at first either. I remember in December 2019, I was doing a play at the Laguna Playhouse and we had some kids in the show and they were running around backstage, like filming stuff for their TikTok. I'd never heard of it. I had no idea what it was. It seemed really silly and I completely, you know, just ignored it. And then uh, I was in the lobby of Nickelodeon Animation uh, the week before the pandemic began in March 2020. Yep. And I ran into a buddy of mine, a guy named Josh Sussman, who was actually on Glee. Uh, he's been in tons of shows. He's a good friend of mine. And he said, hey, man, I just got on this TikTok thing, and it's a really engaged audience and a youthful audience. And I think that because you have such a, a large, you know, young audience because of your Nickelodeon work, you'd, you'd do quite well on the platform. So we filmed a couple of things at, while we were in the lobby at Nick Animation that day. It's actually, surprisingly, one of the last in-person things I can recall before the world flipped upside down. Right, yeah. And, uh, and it immediately started taking off because I've done a show called Henry Danger, which has spun off into Danger Force now for 10 years on Nickelodeon playing mm -hmm. this evil man-baby villain, the toddler. And a lot of kids know me for it. And so I was able to really, in the early days of the pandemic, as TikTok was sort of taking off, um, start to build an audience that I already kind of had, but I just hadn't really amassed into one singular platform on TikTok. And I think the thing that I can say to sort of, for people that don't quite get it yet is this. You know, in the 90s when I was running around making films with my friends and making little comedy sketches on a mini DV camera, you had to just sort of grab whoever was around you to make something. What, what, what's in the room? Let's find whatever props we can get and just like figure out a way to make something that you can try to get onto a VHS tape and that's your comedy thing, right? Yeah. It was hard and you just sort of had to make do with what you had around you. Well, fast forward and now I have a production company and right before the pandemic, you know, I'm used to being on a soundstage with 200 people and a jib crane and a steady cam and all this cool tech stuff and talented people. And then the pandemic began and TikTok brought me right back to being just with a camera, in this case, a phone mm -hmm. by myself with whatever I had around me to just make funny stuff, experiment and just try new stuff in the spirit of building an audience and uh, just getting back to my creative roots. So in that regard, it was fun to just sort of like you know, I'm the kind of guy that spends two years working on a singular project that I put on YouTube. And it was nice to kind of abandon that for a hot second and say, I'm going to put up two videos a day. Some of them might suck. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay, because that's what TikTok's all about. It's about forming a relationship with an audience in a very personal way. In, you know, people sense right away of like, oh, is this person's a, a brand or a person? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I aspire to just make people laugh. And, and that's one way to do it. You you made me think of there's a artist uh, Phil Henson and he talks about 
how he's most creative when he embraces his limitations. Do, mm. do you feel like that's kind of like a TikTok thing where like you're talking about being on soundstage with a jib and multiple people and then you're stuck at home alone. And you're like, okay, what can I do? Do you find that? I don't want to say more rewarding, but do you find more creative juices come that way because of the limitations? Yeah, I mean, look, in the early days of the pandemic, I found that the limitations of what had been placed, you know, the entire entertainment industry shut down. So it, TikTok provided a wonderful outlet for creativity when there was no other way to do it uh, when we were in that initial lockdown. Now that I have an audience of, I don't know, four and a half million people, whatever it is, it's it's turned into certainly still a sandbox for creativity, but also a really great way to help promote my new show, to help, um, you know, lead to directing opportunities. I find that TikTok now and the audience I've been able to amass is kind of interconnected to all of my other avenues. So while it is still this very creative place that um, kind of transcends the limitations caused by the pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, now I think that it's almost integral to so many of the opportunities that are popping into my life uh, in entertainment. Uh, well, you mentioned that your new show, and we'll get to that, but uh, you are a fixture on Nickelodeon. I mean, you, you know, with uh, your, your uh, sorry, it's Dan- um, I'm blanking. Henry Danger and Henry Danger. Danger. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's been running for years, and, and you have the new one coming out, Big Nate. Um, so how is it different being known for a Nickelodeon show versus other TV shows? Nickelodeon... I mean, has been a brand since I was a kid, and I feel like they're both family friendly, but kind of a, in a very realistic way. Like you know, they had Ren and Stimpy and and kind of edgy shows. Yeah, I mean, I think you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I I grew up watching Doug and Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy on the animated side. Those OG Nicktoons had an edge to the comedy, a bite. Uh, and I think that's the thing that is most exciting to me about my new project, which we'll talk about. Um, and then you know. I remember the the on-camera stuff, all that, Keenan and Kel. You know, I grew up watching that stuff. And so working, and, and like you said, I appreciate the kind words, being a fixture at Nickelodeon now for about 10 years, it feels very full circle in my life. Um, the thing that I love about the on-camera work that I've done, particularly with Nick, is that if you're an adult on Nickelodeon, they tend to bring in this just wonderful rotating ensemble of groundlings and UCB improv character actors. And so Mm -hmm. when we all get together, uh, the adults on a kid's show, it is an incredibly talented sort of comedic fraternity that it is very humbling to be a part of. And we are riffing and it's a lot of fun. Um, You know, I'm a theater guy, right? I grew up doing theater. So on-camera Nickelodeon acting is broad. And I think that that's, I've had so much fun playing the toddler because he's so over the top. And it's just, you know, it's like a live action cartoon. So of course, establishing a relationship with the animated side of Nickelodeon was sort of a, uh, an easy transition to make as well. Um, And it's just fun, it's broad, it's silly. And uh, I think the world needs a little bit more of that these days, right? Oh. God, for sure. Yeah, we um, we ended up running stand up comedy shows by accident because of covid. And we've seen so many people come out because they just want to laugh and relax and and not everything's so serious. And I can't imagine being a kid nowadays. I feel like 
you know, that's in Nickelodeon never kind of pandered, you know, they let kids be kids. And, you know, I think that's what I always enjoyed about watching it as a kid. I didn't feel like I was being played down to a hundred percent. And I think that's why, particularly with my new show, I think it appeals to all generations because I think adults, you know, again, it's that edgy comedy. Adults will enjoy it. Um, particularly on big Nate, we incorporate a lot of nostalgia too. There's eighties and nineties music throughout, you know, Big Nate, Nate Wright, who I play, goes to uh, a school called PS38, which is an underfunded uh, public school mm-hmm. in uh, Ratcliffe. And and he's, you know, it's a school from another era. It's, it's kind of crummy. It's dingy. It's, you know, um, there's a sophistication to the animation. And so I think all of that plays into that edgy factor. Like you said, kids can handle it. And, um, and I think adults alike really will enjoy it you know we've as objectively as possible we've seen some of the episodes you know before the premiere and there are i mean it's laugh out loud adult comedy on a family show and that stuff i always appreciated you know i i have kids and you know was you know i don't want to say forced but forced to sit through some horrible things that i didn't want to watch and you know nickelodeon was always pretty good about kind of like there'd be little jokes here and uh god um rocco's modern life Oh yeah! Oh man, Carlos, you go back. Holy Carlos crap! Carlos Alas, yeah, <laughs> Carlos Alasraki, who plays Rocco, is a is a dear friend of mine. We've done a ton of voiceover collaborations, actually on TikTok as well. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah, edgy, super yeah. edgy. There's a lot of jokes in there that you're like, how did that get by? Like, yeah, did someone lose their job? They're they're very adults, but in that way where the kids don't even realize it's a joke. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and you know I think that's true in our show too. In Big Nate. One of the advantages I think we have with this new show is um, so much animation over the last 15 years has been 11-minute chunks. Mm -hmm. And I think that the comedy has had to race really, really fast and with their increasingly smaller attention spans of our youth. uh, And and you lose some of the laughs that way. Our show is a 22-minute show. And I think the comedy is paced where you can have an A story and a B story and it has room to breathe. Yeah. And I think as a result, the gags land so much stronger. The relationships feel so much more organic. Um, and I think that that leads to some of the magic of of what we feel we have with this. Nice. I was checking out the show and it was a really inter- interesting animation style. It doesn't look like anything I can think of because it looks almost like a hybrid between like a traditional cartoon would look and a 3D, um, you know, computer generated type of thing. I don't know if you're involved in that production side, but do you know if that was like an intentional thing or is that just kind of... Yeah, I mean, look, and again, as objectively as possible as I can stand back, it is the most gorgeous animation I think I have ever seen for anything on television. Um, What's so cool and original about our show is that you're right, it is a 3D CGI animated show, but Nate doodles, he draws, and so his his doodles, his drawings, come to life as 2D animation segments on the show. We also mix in additional uh, styles and mediums of animation. There's stop motion. There's sort of cutout stuff. There's claymation. I mean, there's even some moments of live action uh, stuff that they've incorporated. Oh, that's cool. It's really fascinating to see the mixture of elements. I give the the entire team at the studio a huge props for pulling it off, especially during a pandemic. Um, and the thing that's so cool, too, that I would say about the animation in terms of the 3D aspect is most 3D CGI shows light the entire scene evenly and it's big and it's bright. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. our show uh, practically lights things. So, for example, a scene might be lit by, you know, the sunlight streaming in from a window or yeah. uh, a, a lamp on a table. That allows you to see the texture and the character's skin and the griminess of PS38. And um, it's just such a satisfying watch. Um, I think it also couples and complements the grounded performances. You know, I Mm -hmm. think so many animated shows are so big and broad these days. And I think what's so cool about Big Nate is like, Nate Wright's just like, you know, he's basically my voice, just a little higher. And and I, I think those grounded performances help to accent the the more sophisticated animation style as well. So I I think it's important that as individuals we learn our flaws and admit them. And I will be the first person to say that I used to poo-poo voice actors <laughs> in that very standard way, being like, that's not really acting. Um, and I have been completely converted. Um, I am amazed at, at the stuff they do. And what do you have a preference? Like, was there, you know, did you do TV then voice acting? Uh, you said obviously start on stage first, but like, which one do you prefer? And like, or did they all have a separate place in your heart? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, I think the thing that I always try to say when I'm asked this question is, I don't think voice acting and any other kind of acting are different. I think if you're an actor, you're an actor. Mm -hmm. And this microphone that I'm currently speaking to you on is the same microphone that I record my animated show on is one medium for me to elicit laughter, to tell stories, to play characters uh, in as much as me being in front of a camera is. Uh, Or me being behind camera directing something, a commercial or a music video or whatever. So... I think if you're an actor, you're an actor, and the format in which you act is, you know, just the medium in how it's portrayed. I, I think there's a lot of people, you know, that might have your opinion. Oh, voice acting's not real acting or whatever. I'll it's tell an old you opinion. This. It's an old opinion. I've no, changed. no, I get it. I get it. There's, no, but it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I've heard that before. Look, I think what I can say from my own personal experience is, you know, Nate Wright has probably 85% of the dialogue in Big Nate. Yeah. When I get a new script and I have 200 lines of dialogue to get through, it is the most acting prep work I have ever done on anything, on camera or otherwise, um, for any role, because it requires a mastery over the script, over the relationships, over the comedy gags, so that when you get to the session... And you know it backwards and forwards so well, you can improvise, you can riff, you can color outside the lines. Now you can't do that if you haven't done your prep work. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that, you know, again, voice acting is acting. Uh, and what I appreciate about it is, especially in the Nickelodeon world, it allows you to sort of showcase nuance in a way that you can't on camera. You know, those the character I play on camera at Nickelodeon is very broad, purposely yeah. so, and it's a blast. But, you know, there are scenes with Nate kind of like, um, you know, just sort of like questioning himself and, and like not super confident. And that kind of intimacy from a character contrasts so well with the big, broad, over-the-top gags and I think are only possible, especially in a family show, in a kid's environment, um, with voiceover. Yeah. It, it, it's to me 
and again, I can only speak from my little bit of experience. Um, you know, I was a theater kid too, through like um, elementary and junior high. And to me, that was always playing pretend with other kids. So mm-hmm. I found it fairly easy because there's other people. And then as an adult, we're, you know, doing podcasting now and just the simple act of recording an ad read that sounds natural and not like I'm just off a page or the, you know, the total opposite being like, Hey, how's it going? You know, it's so much harder when you're alone, I think. Yeah. And you know what? I think the thing that also makes our show so unique is even in a pandemic, we have found a way to still record as an ensemble because I, you know, I've done so many jobs alone. I think back to, uh, you know, I did the voice of Robin in Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we mm-hmm. all recorded uh, independently. There was an awesome cast in that. You know, uh, Tom Kenny, Kyle Mooney, Eric Bauza. We, there's so many awesome people. It would have been great to sit in the same room and riff off of. But, you know, a lot of stuff is recorded. This was even pre-pandemic yeah. recorded yeah. in isolation. So you've got to sort of uh, imagine what their performances would be. What I think separates our show, what makes it so funny is that even in a pandemic, we all get on a Zoom every week to record new episodes, and it allows us to play off of each other, to riff, to improvise, to react to one another's performances. And I think that adds to the sort of grounded authenticity of the relationships and and the comedy. My real-life writing and improv partner, Arnie Pantoja, plays Teddy Ortiz on Big Nate, Big Nate's mm-hmm. best friend, and, and co-conspirator in their misadventures and hijinks. And you get to see Arnie and I actually riff with each other, coming through Nate and Teddy, and it's so organic because it's not done in isolation. I yeah. mean, it is in that none of us have ever been in the same room for this show uh, because we've done it exclusively in the pandemic. But that those ensemble records, when they are possible for any project, man, that just adds that extra 20% magic that you see on the screen. Now, how much do you get to really improv? Is the animation already done when you're recording the voices? So I, I would assume that would limit you. No. So the way it works, uh, and animation's done in a variety of ways, but the way it works for our show and for many uh, original animated series is you record the voices first. So they write a script. We all get together. We record it. And then they create an animatic, which is sort of like a, a rough drawing, series of drawings, uh, semi-animated to show you mm-hmm. what the shots are going to look like. Then we might do pickups or, uh, you know, insert lines when they sort of change some things based on what those drawings are in the animatic. And then and only then they animate it. And sometimes you might have to re-record a line or do ADR to throw in an effort or a grunt or a, uh, deliver a line more projected or more whispered. But that's sort of the workflow. It's certainly the workflow for our show. And what that allows us to do is because it's not animated yet, uh, when we record, and I give a lot of credit to our showrunner Mitch Watson for giving us this freedom, is they let us improvise like crazy. You know, I show up to an original record for Big Nate and I have written alt lines for areas that I want to pitch the writers on on other punchlines. Yeah. You know, and they are so good about me going like, hey guys, can I try one more on line 117? You can throw it out, but let me just try something. And more often than not, it, it makes it into the final episode, which is so cool. And then I also give them a lot of credit because they've hired improvisers and they let us improvise. Uh, at this point, everyone at Nickelodeon knows that when they hire me to do a job, 
That's I'm going to riff. Yeah. You know, they're, they're hiring me in part to both do the script that they've written, but also bring a little bit of what I can bring to the table, which is riffing and, and throwing in, you know, my own sort of spin on how a character would approach that gag or that moment. Uh, and there's a ton of improv in Big Nate and you see it, you know, in, in the episodes I've seen so far, you see it, like you see the improv, uh, being used. Uh, and again, I just think that it's so, it just helps land the comedy so much. Yeah. You know, it's one of those, I feel like there's been multiple times where me, me and my, my business partner are working on, on a project and something in my head that will jump out and be like, Oh, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> and then I'll say it. And as it's coming out, I'm like, Oh, that's not funny at all. And I'll be like, I know I just said that. So it's out of my head and I can think of something else. I know it's yeah. not funny, but I, I, I like the way that it kind of then it may trigger a thought in his head or, you know, at least gets it out of my head so I can kind of like not dwell on it and kind of start trying to find what is funny. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's creative collaboration. It's why I got into this business. And obviously, that's been the most challenging part of COVID is, uh, you know, we're all desperate for collaboration and human contact and creating with one another. So the fact that I get to do it once a week um, with our amazing cast with Big Nate is, is really a dream come true. And it's just an incredibly talented group of people. And is that desire to, like, create and collaborate why you started your production company? Yeah, you know, I'll actually tell you the impetus for that was in the early days of my television career, I'm a short guy, so I'm 5'2", mm -hmm. uh, and I think after my third on-camera television role as a Christmas elf, I said, you know, <laughs> I think there's more out there for me than this. Yeah. Uh, not that I don't like playing Christmas elves, but uh, when you're I'll only... I'll cash the check this time. But... Right. When you're only playing, you know, jockeys, elves, and, you know, whatever else, uh, you start to say, okay, well, the industry's trying to pigeonhole me into one thing. Oh, he's a short guy, so he'll just play the short guy roles. And it's like, you know what? Um, almost out of necessity, I started making my own stuff. And... Mm -hmm. You know, originally in the early days of YouTube, I would take over big YouTube channels and make content for them and try to build up my own following that way. So I used to run the FML channel, the uh, Failblog channel, the Fred channel in the very early days of YouTube. And then a real shift came from, okay, well, now I really want to start making my own online projects. And that's when I really wanted to start making my own comedy hip-hop music videos. Uh, okay. And I partnered with a buddy of mine who's a hip-hop artist. And we made – the first one we made was called Little Dude Anthem. It's basically me just doing a braggadocious Busta Rhyme-style rap at, bragging about being short. Uh, it did well. Yeah. And my buddy Jensen Reed, who's uh, uh, the hip-hop artist I collab with, said, okay, well, what, what else are we passionate about? Uh, and we said, hey, we're both really nostalgic guys. We love the 80s and the 90s. So we spent two years working on a project called Back to the 90s uh, that we put out in 2017. It got 100 million views. We charted on Billboard. We joined wow. the Backstreet Boys in Las Vegas. It was nuts. It was a big celebratory 90s-esque music video. And it was a great lesson in, hey, just because the industry wants you to be one thing doesn't mean you can't go make comedy rap videos and that lead you to 
you know, the Backstreet Boys. I mean, it was such a weird other part of my career. It actually helped me build an audience of my peers and contemporaries. You know, I obviously have such a big, you know, youthful audience because of my Nickelodeon stuff, but it was really nice to start building out an audience of my peers as well. And, and the the nostalgia projects, the comedy hip-hop music videos started to to help with that. But that was all under the purview of my production company. And then all of that started to lead towards, you know, more traditional opportunities. So I direct commercials now, uh, music videos for artists and labels, and uh, it's allowed me to really build up the infrastructure of a, you know, a, a nerdy Avengers is what I like to call us. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> our DP, our gaffer, yeah. everybody at the company's just, just an all-star at what they do. And it's just such a privilege to get to create stuff with my friends. Now, was that uh, transition into directing like TV commercials and music videos, was that intentional or was it more just people liked what you're doing? Like, hey, can you do one for me? Because I find that to be way more common where we'll do something and then people are like well can you do that here or can you do this other thing and we're like sure i guess yeah why not <laughs> you know i guess the answer is sort of a combo of both i mean i knew i wanted to find a way to monetize my very expensive online endeavors mm -hmm. uh and in the early days was struggling to do so you know i was spending a lot of my own cash on making comedy online because it was a creative outlet um but then after my stuff started to get, you know, really global, a global audience, yeah. uh, brands started to reach out. I started working with ad agencies. I'd already been sort of privy to how it was working with an ad agency and a client and all that stuff via my voiceover career because I've done so much commercial voiceover over the, the years that I wasn't a total stranger to the workflow. Um you know, at the same time, I was auditioning for commercials on camera, and I felt it was unsatisfying because I wanted to run the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so then I realized, okay, well, I could. Uh, and so I really enjoy, in a commercial setting, being behind camera because it allows me to work with really funny actors. Um, it allows me to, you know, as, the, as a commercial director, you're really harmonizing a bunch of disparate opinions and, and getting everybody on the same page. Um, and, and I really enjoy it. Working with a, an ad agency and a client and, you know, usually we are the production company entity. Um, there's a lot of differing ideas and opinions about how to use a, a, a brand's money into making something funny and cool. Um, and it's a pleasure to do it. You know, we just did a, um, a vanilla ice music video, branded music video this summer uh, for Bar S Foods. And it was a spoof of Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. Um, <laughs> okay. And I had, you know, I look at my team and I've got Vanilla Ice dancing on a giant 15-foot hot dog we built. And yeah. I was like, this is so silly. And I love it. It was just so much fun. It was, But that's a direct result of going out and just making my own stuff. You know, I go out, I make a bunch of stuff on YouTube. Now I'm directing music, uh, a music video with Vanilla Ice because... Um, you know, it's all in the hustle and, and it's a way to start monetizing your passion. Yeah. I mean, you, you must have, I mean, we're just kind of getting, I mean, we've always had them, but they're bigger and bigger each time where we're like, how, how did we get here? Like, yeah, do we belong to you? So do you have one instance where you're like, do I belong here? Like, how did this happen? Dude, it, it, man, that is just the motto for my career. My buddies, <laughs> my buddy Scott, who's our head of production and my uh, co-producer at my production company, Small Red Cape, him and I laugh about it because 
every time we're on set together, there's always a moment where we look to look at each other from across the stage or the location, wherever we're shooting at. And we go, what the F are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is bonkers. So, I mean, that happens on every on every project, right? Like, you know, certainly most recently, you know, being on set with vanilla ice uh, and a bunch of hot dogs for a hot dog commercial was very funny. <laughs> um, uh, you know, like we, for our Back to the 80s music video, we hosted an 80s prom uh, and had 250 people, this is obviously pre-COVID, yeah. uh, in this auditorium of this Catholic girls' school that we rented. Uh, and, you know, right like a week before we did the shoot, it's this big epic rock concert we were we were filming. Scott goes, hey, man, what if we got confetti cannons? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do that. So we got like these industrial-grade confetti cannons and just yeah. shot confetti into the air. And it was the volume of it was astounding. We had pounds of confetti raining down on, you know, this huge crowd of people dressed in, in 80s attire. And it was like, what are we doing? This is bonkers. So I look, I think that's just my philosophy in making anything. I think if you don't have that moment on set, you could have done more. Uh, and so I think, especially if it's a passion project, but even if it's not, even if you're making something with a brand, there's always a way to push the limit and I have no intention of constantly just doing the same thing. Everything I do next, I want to be more completely insane than the last thing. Um, so, yeah, and I certainly feel that way about my passion projects. That, that's funny. Uh, we were just back in December. We were recording uh, the newest episode of one of our YouTube shows. And uh, it's about cocktails. So we're be being spurred on by our, our people who are on the show they wanted to do tiki drinks <laughs> and it's december in new england and so we're standing outside with a bad island backdrop shot so you can clearly see it's a bad island <laughs> backdrop uh in a hot tub with our friends drinking drinking tiki drinks in the hot tub and i nudge my buddy i'm like this is work like this is our job and he's yeah. like, it's so weird. I don't get it. Um, I think that every day when I'm when I'm recording for Big Nate, I'm like, I get to play a sixth grade prankster. I get to act with Jack Black in our pilot. I get to, I mean, it's like sometimes you do, you get so caught up in the minutia of the the hustle and the hard work that we put into our respective careers that it's it's important to sort of zoom out and be like, oh, wow, what a unique life. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have that moment where you're trying to explain to people what it is you do and they kind of get that weird kind of glassy eyed look where they're like, oh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah you're you not know, like, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant. I think it was much easier 15 years ago where I would just be like, I'm Ben Giroux and I'm an actor. Uh, now, um, if you were to ask me what I did and I like handed you a business card, it would say, Ben Giroux, I like to make cool stuff with my friends. <laughs> uh, and that could mean being, you know, making my animated series, being on camera, being behind camera. There are so many different ways that I like to be creative and collaborative with a great group of people. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to just making really cool stuff with really cool people. Um, and I would say this too, the best advice I ever received, which I try to make integral to everything that I do, uh, is I was on set for 
Um, well, I'll just tell I was on set for the show Psych years mm-hmm. ago with uh, James Rodé Rodriguez, who's really nice guy, very impressive actor, funny guy. And I was young at the time. It was right after college. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, man, what's the secret? You know, you've got your own show on TV. I'm young. I'm hungry. And he goes, all right, two things. Do good work. Be a good dude. That's it. And the rest will come. And I really think it's the best advice I've ever received in entertainment because it's true. Be a good human being, you know, surround yourself with good people, you know, treat people with respect and uh, and then hustle. Do your best, you know, show up early, uh, prepare and uh, and the rest will come. And I've, I've tried to make that integral to all of the things that I do in in the entertainment industry. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Uh, so outside of Nate, who is your favorite role that you've had? Oh, man, that's a good question. So, you know, the obvious answer would probably be the toddler because it's the longest running. I've played the toddler on three different Nickelodeon series over the years. Uh, I still am playing a character. You know, it's been like 10 years playing the same character. So that kind of longevity in TV, let alone in Nickelodeon TV, is is pretty unheard of. So I feel very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give you an outside-the-box answer to this. I like those. Because this is not exclusively a, uh, this is not like a, a, a kid's podcast. Um, I did a Christopher Guest series called Family Tree in 2011, 2012, something like that on HBO. Yeah. And I don't know if you're a fan of Waiting for Guffman or Best in Show. Uh, but... I love, uh, um, oh my God, uh, Mighty Wind? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I love Mighty Wind. So, you know. Christopher Guest, it's, you know, all of his stuff is completely improvised. And as an improviser, this was like, this was like working with the god of improv, right? So I was so excited to get cast on this show. And and the gist of my scene was this. It was a Civil War reenactment scene. And they had hired two Abraham Lincoln uh, impersonators. And one was very tall, like Lincoln. And one was me, who's a very (laughs) short Abraham Lincoln. And the only note for the scene was... This is a problem. There can only be one Lincoln. Work it out. That was it. And <laughs> okay. so uh, the whole scene is we pull up in two cars to this parking lot and and we get out and we notice each other and we have to we have to work it out. So as we're walking up, sorry, this is a little bit long-winded story. Oh, but no, as, that's we're, fine. as we're walking up to uh, to set uh, to shoot it, um, one of the producers comes up and says, hey, you know, Chris, uh, Chris for guest is, is he's a little stoic. So even if he thinks something's really funny, don't be offended if he, if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't laugh, uh, mm-hmm. it's not because you've done a bad job. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, it's all good. Everybody laughs at things differently. So we did the scene and it turned into just the improv, you know, feeling I had was this needs to be a fist fight. Okay. So we started just beating the crap out of each other, these two Lincolns, <laughs> yeah. on camera. It was done in one take. And I shoved the tall Lincoln across the parking lot. And I still had, like, I had, we got actual bruises from this scene. And, um, God, I, you know what? I can't tell you the line that I improvised because there's profanity in it. Yeah, but I yeah. encourage you to look it up online. I'm going to have to check it out on YouTube, yeah. And the line that I said, I look over and Christopher Guest tumbles out of his chair hysterically laughing they call cut and uh the scene turned out very funny it was such a pleasure to work with them and then i went to the rap party 
a couple months later, and they had printed the line that I said on some mugs as the wrap gift. Oh, that's and so cool. It was such a humbling experience to work with somebody that I so admire in comedy and improv and his whole team, you know, just comedy legends to be a part of that, even if it's one scene uh, and to get to elicit that kind of reaction and to get that kind of um, response then at the rap party was a real highlight of my career and one that that stands out um, in my mind as as, hey, you know what, man, in comedy, you're on the right track. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, I because I'm promoting a kids show, I will not yeah. say the the profane line I said, but go look up Family Tree and my name, and you'll you'll easily find the scene. For sure. <laughs> um, so Big Nate is coming out very soon. Does it come out on February seventh? Yeah. So February seventeenth, we 17th. premiere the first eight episodes on Paramount Plus. Um, Nickelodeon's got a great relationship with Paramount Plus now. I'm really excited we're premiering on a streamer because I think it opens us up to an even wider audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so February 17th, first eight episodes. There's plenty more episodes that are going to premiere after that. Um, I and this is going to go up on the 14th, so it's in three days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In yeah. three days. In three, in three days. days. Tune in to Paramount Plus to see the first eight episodes of Big Nate. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. It's uh, There's something in it for everybody, and, I, man, the comedy is bonkers now do you know how they're releasing it i know like um disney plus and uh amazon prime have been like you know putting out like episodes weekly with some of the stuff is this getting like released all in one chunk or is it kind of like yeah so we have i'm not sure i'm allowed to say how many episodes we've recorded but we've recorded many more than eight and so my expectation is that they're going to release them in batches Okay. The first eight are in three days, but um, the next batch is probably not too far behind, although they have not officially scheduled it yet. Mm-hmm. So I would anticipate that. And then uh, I'm not sure what Nickelodeon's going to do, but a lot of their other series have been retroactively premiering on linear TV on Nickelodeon proper, um, which is you know my personal expectation for it. So we'+ll see if that turns out to be true. But right now, exclusively, it premieres on Paramount Paramount Plus. Prime. Uh, Paramount Plus. Sorry. Um, That's awesome, man. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Where on socials and TikTok and all that stuff where our listeners find you? Yeah, I'm just Ben Giroux on Instagram and uh, and TikTok, B-E-N-G-I-R-O-U-X. Um, if you follow my TikTok, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of animation content, a lot of stuff, uh, Nickelodeon inspired stuff, Instagram, it's a little bit of a mix. And then if you're a, a contemporary, a peer, you'll probably like some of those music videos I was talking about on my, uh, on my YouTube channel. Excellent. Uh, thanks again for coming on. This is a lot of fun and, uh, we will catch our listeners again next week. We'll see you guys then. Thanks so much, man. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.